Welcome to the Manly Pinterest Tip Show. Show. A show designed to assist man in his quest to succeed on Pinterest. If you have interests in the content you want to share, content you want your clients to see, learn ways to grow and succeed in this unique and exciting world, one man will assist you on your journey. To become a pinner and grow your presence online, men and women can share in the success. And here to show you how is your host, is your host Jeff C. Adding testosterone, one pin at a time. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Manly Pinterest Tips Podcast. I'm Jeff C., and you're not. I'm very excited for today's show. Today's show is a blast from the past that I can't wait to share with you. But first, I want to tell you about a group coaching opportunity that I will be offering. I'm getting ready to launch an eight-week in-depth live Pinterest training, which will be offered to a select few. If you're interested in finding out more, head to manlypinteresttips.com forward slash training. That's manlypinteresttips.com forward slash training. Today's show comes from when I first started Manly Pinterest Tips as a YouTube show. It consists of the founding group of guys, Mike Alton, Stefan Havnanian, Wade Harmon, and myself, and we were honored to sit down with Hollywood producer Gary W. Goldstein. Gary is best known for producing Pretty Woman, Under Siege, Under Siege 2, and The Mothman Prophecies. He has also written a book called Conquering Hollywood and has a course called Breaking into Hollywood. He offers some great stories and insights from Hollywood for us today, from business all the way to networking. Now this interview is from a live YouTube show that I did with Gary, where our live audience asked questions during the interview. If you'd like to be a part of one of our live shows and ask your own questions, make sure to head on over to manlypinteresttips.com and join our email community to find out how you can be a part of our live show. You can also text Manly Pinterest Tips to 33444 on your mobile device. This was one of my favorite episodes that I did during that first year, and I thought the discussion was so fascinating that I could have talked for hours. So let's jump right into my conversation with Gary W. Goldstein. Gary, we are so thankful that you agreed to be on the show. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Jeff, thank you. That's a very sweet, lovely, generous intro. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Now, to get started, and, and we'll run through the, the panel later, um, we've got Mike Alton here, we've got Stefan Havnanian, and we've got Wade Harmon, and they're all going to, I know, want to ask you some questions, but I guess the first one that I would like to ask you is, I think people get confused about, what's the difference between a producer and a director? That's kind of a, I, I know people have questions about that. <laughs> I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'm still trying to explain that to my family. Uh, <laughs> The, 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 here, here's, okay, if there, let's talk about it in terms of innate intelligence. So the smartest person is the actor. They come in the latest and they leave the soonest and get paid the most. <laughs> right? And then you've got the director who comes in sooner, but long after the producer and leaves after post-production, maybe a little bit of marketing and they're gone. The producer is there for years. Um, really what it comes down to is pre-production, creating the concept, populating that concept, refining the story, bringing the money, bringing the distribution, selecting the director is, is really the domain of, of, of the producer. And that, I actually once had to do a, I'll show you, I did a, a little PDF called What Producers Do, and it ended up being a few pages of bullet points, and it got scary when I thought about it. So we, we speak a lot of languages, and 
once we pull our director in, of course, then a lot of responsibility is shared. So choice of key department has your production designer, your editor, your casting director, uh, your, certainly your talent, you know, selecting your talent. Those tend to become shared responsibilities. But basically, my job is to find either an idea or a piece of source material, an article or a book or a screenplay from a writer that I, you know, that I, that, that's come to me and work with it until it is such a tight screenplay that it is more than a script, it's actually a shootable film. And then I start to populate it, as I said, and, uh, and then you see it through. Production is more the director's medium, putting it all together is the producer's medium, and post-production and the marketing and the ad campaign and all of that sort of afterlife, that's again the producer's uh, sort of uh, medium. But, you know, when you're in production, my job <clears throat> is strictly anticipate problems, put out the fires, pave the way for the director and the, and the, and the talent to work their magic and, and just make sure they don't get interrupted. How, how long does that process usually come for when you, when you find a story and then you move it through the production process all the way to post-production? Is there a typical time frame that, that usually happens? Uh, long uh, is typical. Uh, the... There's really no formula. I would tell you that, you know, some films like Forrest Gump, I forget, I've heard anything from 13 to 15 years to get that from script to screen. Uh, there, there are, of course, there are films I've worked on. I've worked on films for a decade that never got made. It took that long for them to truly get buried and put to rest. But I have been very, very fortunate, truthfully, in many instances. You named some of my films. In fact, all of those films, Pretty Woman, uh, the first and second Under Siege and Mothman. Actually, those were all films that were um, that w where we had speed on our side. The, the just circumstances worked out. I was no more than three years from script to theaters uh, for each one of those titles. Um, doesn't mean I didn't spend a year or two before that developing the script. I did. But once you have the script, to, to get it on screens in three years is actually really fast. Wow, okay, great. Well, Mike, I, I know you had some questions that you wanted to ask too, kind of relating to business. Um, you want to go ahead and ask that question? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Gary, uh, good to see you. And um, just kind of wondering if you can help our audience kind of understanding us, um, what are some of the similarities between you know producing a movie and just business in general? Um, and then you might tie into that too, just some tips you might have in general for uh, business people or creatives. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I actually think that there's not a lot of, there are some great differences and then some areas where I think there's really very little difference between them. I love saying that I produce businesses today every bit as much as I produce films. And I think the process and the mindset is very, very similar. Um, if you think about a film, even in, whether it's a little indie, uh, a small, like my first film, was a $200,000 film called Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death, right? Now, I, you, it's a great title and you get a good chuckle, but the truth is, and I was so green, I had to learn a lot to get through that process, but whether it's that film or a, or a $40 million film with Richard Gere at, 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 at Sony called The Mothman Prophecies or any other, any of those titles, the experience is the experience and every film, when you think about it, is a startup. It's insane to think of it that way because 
the model of a feature film is you invest all this time having no idea if it's market appropriate or going to be well received. And then you have to go out and convince people to give you a, an obscene amount, a disproportionate amount of money. There's the risk quotient of a feature film is extraordinary. And yet the return of feature films overall for those that get through the miracles that get through the, the pipe and get made and get distributed really puts most businesses to shame the global export they're just and they have an afterlife that is extraordinary so you bring together a team of people who've never worked together highly 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 skilled folks from 30 different uh, areas of expertise and you insist that they work together like an academy award-winning olympic whatever team from day one because your burn rate is a hundred thousand or more a day one of the things that's really unique about film is how you put the team together and what's the culture of that business called a film. And I think one of the big differentiators that people in business could take a tear a page out of the playbook of, of Hollywood and, and do well to do so is this idea that the culture of Hollywood, people are there not because they're necessarily creating great wealth for themselves. I mean, certainly people at the top, the distribution area in certain other areas, yes, they do very well. But a lot of people are there in the same sense that I was attracted initially to go to Hollywood, uh, out of passion. They're really, really in love with the idea of telling stories, big stories on a big screen, or uh, I'll be honest, if I'd known what TV was going to become, I probably would have gone into TV years ago because the storytelling the ability to develop such intricate stories over so many episodes is a storyteller's dream. Um, but whether it's a big screen or a small screen, I think people are drawn to this out of passion first. So the sense of mission, the glue that binds these people together starting from day one when they walk in and meet all these strangers that they haven't collaborated with yet, you start at a very high level because everyone is there to roll up their sleeves, give their best, they believe in this, they're excited about the script, and, and they'll do whatever it takes, even if they're not getting paid. I mean, they're freelancers, so they're never gonna get paid enough to make up for the gaps in their work schedule. That's not their driver. So I think, you know, that's, if you think about a film as a startup, but everyone comes in with a really, really crucial sense of purpose and mission and excitement, um, that's sort of the energy of filmmaking. Um, and I think that that, is kind of my approach to business. I think business should, I, I love business because in going back to what we talked about moments ago, businesses can shift and grow and scale and, and, and stand up and run so much faster than a feature film where it might take three or five or seven years to get a film really up and, and produced and out into the world. Imagine if you could just replace that word years with months. And I think in business you can do that today, especially with all this tech. I mean, here we are. How many of us are there? Five of us. I'm, on, on, you know, just hanging out here. Imagine the brain power we can bring to every week on a weekly basis to shift our business forward. Well, I think that's a, a good point. I'm hearing, you know, you talk about the collaboration that happens with, you know, when you're producing a movie, and we're seeing the same kind of thing with social, and the social media stuff is. Um, the big collaboration movement. I mean, I've never met any of these guys in real life. 
but we still can come together and produce something and have fun together and it gives value to everybody who's involved so i think it's it's really it's really interesting to see those parallels between you know hollywood collaboration and what's happening in social Stefan, you had some questions as well that you wanted to to ask gary yeah, and, th- and first off, great to meet you. Um, really excited about this. I've just been sitting back and soaking it all in because um, this is really fascinating. And uh, I, a nice segue, Jeff, because for me, I'm, I'm most curious about, you know, kind of scaling this back a little bit towards uh, towards hangout shows, you know, like this one. And I'm involved in a couple of them uh, personally. So, uh, but I know that, that, you know, there's so much that can be, there's so much that, that can get done and, and quickly be by meeting face to face or communicating with an audience face to face live um that uh you know this this whole idea of hangouts and things like that really does accelerate you know anything that we're trying to accomplish right as as business people doing these shows investing our time you know it might not be money and you know in some cases you can do sponsorships but in many cases um you know we're just doing it for content or authority or relationships or whatever but i guess for me uh i would be really curious to see um I guess first, if you you know if you have any advice or tips from the from the standpoint of you know shows like this one or um, you know how we could communicate better with our audiences and really just elevate our game a little bit because you know to get to the level that you're talking about um, it, there is a lot of work here and uh, you know trying to see that payoff or even if it's just the mission again um, just trying to see some ideas that we could maybe just maybe it's just marketing I don't know um, but elevate our game a little bit as as producers of you know, hangout shows, I guess. That was yeah, a very roundabout question. Yeah, well, no, no, but it's a great question. It's the question we all ask ourselves every day. How do we do better at what we want to do? How do we impact more people and elevate that conversation? It's, 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 it's the question we should all be asking. And I think that, you know, in this hang, hangout, the, this medium that we now have is, is a huge accelerator. But I think, it, it, you know, I think it's a couple of things. I, when we talk about like how do you accelerate creativity, there's there's some some things that I think really are unexpected answers to that because it's it's not about craft and it's not about discipline. It's it's really about checking your ego at the door and 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 you know really operating from what I call the truth zone, which is the neck down, the viscera, the guts, the you know whatever the heart, whatever you want to call it. This is your insurance policy. Just you know. Leave it, at the, leave it in the foyer and then go to work. Uh, and part of that is being candid and vulnerable and truthful or just transparent, whatever word you want to use enough to say to your, your, uh, your audience, what do you care about? Like, what would be the most amazing thing I could do to help you? I'm looking at right now Wade's background, relationship marketing, you know. Where are you weak? Where are you falling down? What would really change your game? What do I need to tell you or who do I need to bring to you? Because I have a simple philosophy. No one on the planet's unreachable. So who can I bring to you that would really help you that you've been dying to hear from uh, that we can create a real dialogue around? Um, and I just, I always, I do that all the time. I, mean, I did that in, uh, uh, in a recent hangout. Um, actually, it was... Uh, last night, we brought on the guy who was the executive producer, the showrunner of Tim Allen's show called Last Man Standing. The most down-to-earth, lovely, like, you know, you look at these people and say, how have you survived a quarter of a century in Hollywood and still be so damn nice? Uh, 
Um, and 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 but you find you know Holland's got a, a, a bum rap to a large extent. Uh, people like that often tend to be very generous. With people mentored them, were very generous to them, and they in turn want to do the same. But uh, we do the same thing. We're always asking, you know, whether you're a writer or a would-be filmmaker or an actor or whatever kind of creative editor or cinematographer, it doesn't matter, same deal. Like, what do you really need to get a toehold? What would help you figure out? And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna point at that background behind Wade because to me, the whole key of all of this uh, is the thing that, that, that makes us better is, is relationship. You know, it's like relationship trumps result. Every, every writer always says, if only, if only I had an agent, you know, if only X, Y, or Z, uh, I would have to be, I could stay in my, you know, in, 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 in at home writing, doing my craft and being happy and, and the world would receive me. And that's absolutely not true. No agent ever gets anyone a job. That's a myth. The truth is, we do that based on how much we develop rapport, how much we're willing to, you know, put ourselves out and, and get into relationship with each other. So I think that a lot of it is like really encouraging your audience to speak up about what they need, what they want, what their dreams are, and and let's talk about how you can we can help you get that. That makes you a champion. It makes you a leader. It makes you really valuable. Hmm. I don't Speaking think it's, I don't think it's about production value. I think that no one really much cares about that. This that was eye opening. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Speaking of uh, encouraging your audience, Cheryl Deuce uh, said, "Hey, I'm checking in. Huge fan of Gary Goldstein." And so, uh, yes. And so there, you got your audience following you around. So wait. I, and, <laughs> one of the things in, in the, the hangout I watched you on uh, the intro to your your master course. Um, you really talked about relationships and networking and stuff like that. And I know Wade has some questions, being the relationship marketing expert here. So, Wade, go ahead and ask your questions to Gary. Well, um, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's really a pleasure to meet you. Um, you don't know this, but back in 96, I, I, the summer of 96, I loved the movie Under Siege. And when Jeff told me you were going to come on, I, I thought to myself, man, I can't believe I'm finally going to get to meet uh, someone that's connected with this movie. Back in the summer of 96, I did a marathon, me and a buddy of mine, and we watched, I was going to see how many times I could watch Under Siege. <laughs> and yeah, and and I we've I got it all the way up to ninety nine. I watched it no. nine times. Uh, okay. Me and a buddy, I, I so enjoyed that movie. And uh, my question is, and you you've almost answered it in in your last comment, but I still want to ask it anyway. Uh, with, with high priority actors like Steven Seagal, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, these guys uh, were were doing pretty good back in the nineties. Say these people are are bloggers or, or social media enthusiasts, Steven Seagal, Tom Lee Jones, and the filmmaker, which is you, uh, other other executive producers, directors. These people are the opportunity. Uh, can you walk us through through the steps? How how is the selection process made? Because every blogger wants to have a better opportunity to bring you know more eyeballs to their content. Uh, to bring their business up to another level of 
engagement and customer service, customer relationships. And I know you, you've, you've touched on the relationship side of it, but can you explain how, how the process is? Where, how do you vet these people for the movie? And maybe how that can relate to, you know, business in social. I would give you. A, that's a great question. I'll give you a couple of different answers. I mean, in terms of how we how we actually select the actors for the the, the cast uh, is one view, and and that's. If if that it, it reminds me of the you know the the, the old saying that you know I. When, when you say what's pornography, well, I don't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. There's, a, the, you know, when you get into that casting process, and and the pressure is really intense to find the name, that driver that's going to satisfy audience, financiers, distributors, marketers. I mean, just a plethora of, and and of course the story. First and foremost, the story. And it's not easy to cast a film. Now, I knew that when I sold that script to Warner Brothers that I was partly doing what the thought in mind that there was sky coming off all those smaller budgeted films who was hot and great Steven Seagal. And if we compare him with a senior, a community elder like a Tommy Lee Jones, we would have the ballast that we needed. And that seemed really interesting. But when you get in that room, it's like, you know, you want to see who who takes the craft seriously and who's also just sort of like nice. Like when you're in production, like when you're in a startup, you better like these people because you're going to be up at three, four in the morning on a tough day, working through some problems, and you got to know that they're going to collaborate with you. That they're going to not be a diva. They're not going to throw a tantrum, and they're going to be pleasant. Uh, so you're looking for someone that you think you can get, you hope you can get along with, but you're also just that ineffable thing. Like, did they surprise me? Number one, uh, did they bring something extra to that choice? And by the way, if, if I say to you, like, I'd like you to do that a, a slightly different way. What if, you know, if I throw a suggestion to you and you completely play with it and run with it and give it back to me versus not really being okay with that, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a clue. So there's a lot of things that go into it and they're all sort of like gut level stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, not everybody always agrees. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but I I had another idea that I just didn't want to forget, and I've already forgotten it. Let me ask you this while you're thinking. Um, you're, let me get let me get this straight. Uh, would it matter? Say say an actor is is just super good at what they do. They they go in and, and you know they could do the job, but yet would they adapt to what you're you're wanting the the scene to to tell the story? Uh, if if no, even though they're great at what they do, would that be a wall for you as far as hiring them for the job? Yeah, unless they can convince me, and that's part of it is the attitude. Like if they can convince me that they've got an idea that's equal or better, that's that's got the same or greater merit, I'm completely open. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm look. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that from my set designer. I'm looking for that from my music team. I'm looking for that from absolutely every quadrant, wardrobe, makeup, this, that, those little nuances, those things that you couldn't necessarily have predicted. There was a day on the set of Pretty Woman where Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, she's in her Cinderella red dress, they're in the elevator ready to whisk away on a private jet to the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House to see, uh, for her to see her first ever opera. 
And whatever line was in the script, to be honest, I don't remember. The script was so great, but we, with Gary Marshall, we had the best director in the world. So we said, look, here's the deal. Once, one, one take as scripted, and then let's just improv. Let's find this story as we go. And so the reputation of this film was, oh, that little film in trouble. We knew what we were doing. We were letting it breathe. We trusted our cast and they trusted us. And that was key because there were moments like that where they're in that elevator, the line in the script, it wasn't magic and it was a magic. You could look at them standing in makeup and wardrobe in that elevator set and you knew that was a magical moment, but the magic wasn't there. We had a policy, it was an open set, you know, friends, come, come, hang out, you know, whatever. And there was a guy, there were brothers, Stephen Marty Kersfeld, and I forget which one it was. One was a sitcom writer. He shows up and he's standing by, and we're in video, you know, Video Village, you're, you know, the director and everybody's huddled around all the videos, looking at the framing and through the cameras and all this. And we're stuck. And this little voice from one of the Kersfeld brothers back here whispers, what if she says, in case I forget to tell you later, I had a wonderful time tonight. And there were, you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, literally no one spoke because we were all absorbing how profoundly effing genius that moment was. Like that summed up everything. If you never saw the rest of the film, you would know so much about her character and who she really was, that it was unbelievable. And that of course went in the movie. So, you know, as Quincy Jones says, sometimes you just got to leave a little room for God and be open. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we should just drop the mic and walk off the stage right now. That was that was great. Um, we do have a question from the audience from uh, Doug Crow. He says, uh, be sure to ask Gary to tell the story about the real naval officer in charge of nuclear security who came up to him after the movie was released. It's amazing. Oh my God, what a memory. Good Lord, Doug Crow, you're the man. Uh, even I forgot that story. Uh, yeah, there was, whoops. Okay, he got me so excited, I just. Calm <laughs> down. Um, it, was, it was years later. A guy came up to me, I forget where it was. I was speaking at some hotel, and a guy and his wife, new wife, came up to me, and he had been in charge of. Uh, I forget this. I'm not a you, you. You will pick up on this. I have no military in my background. Okay, and one of the things that was so cool about Under Siege was we had like 30. I don't know what they were. They were Delta Force and SEALs and Special Forces and Admiral retired admirals, and we had so many of these. And probably most of them were real, and some weren't. <laughs> we couldn't tell who was who, but they loved us because we were talking about them, their world. And they believed in the authenticity of the script. Look, it's far-fetched, I'm gonna go off trip script just for a moment. You know, how many times do you really have this sexy young Erica Alaniac hooked at the hip to your male lead hero telling jokes throughout the whole of the film? That was one of the conceits intentionally of the film. Not very authentic and yet, we literally stripped the hardware off every mothballed ship. We had the set, we had the language, we had their input. We made this as, in some sense, as accurate and true as we could, given the crazy premise. Now, turns out the premise wasn't that crazy. Why? Because under, um, whose regime was it? 
you know what, I'm going to skip it because I'm going to get it wrong. Whoever was president at the time, it was some, it was when, who was president when Under Siege came out? That would have been the original, what came out in 92. So it might have been Bush Senior. Senior. Yeah. Um, I think. So whatever ship this guy was stationed on, uh, he was in charge of security for the nuclear warheads. And they had, uh, from, from, from the top down, from the president down, uh, came, uh, they stripped the budget of uh, the security budget. So now these, these, these warheads were, to say the least, more vulnerable. Uh, there was almost no security on these ships other than they were on a ship. And this was terrifying to the people whose job it was to keep them secure. Um, turns out when that film came out, unbeknownst to me, I never learned this, he said, your film actually created this tumult, this conversation that was a hotbed of controversy, Joint Chiefs, Pentagon, this, that, the other thing, and basically all the services escalated their budget again overnight for security of nuclear warheads. Now, how would you ever know that? Um, but but yeah, it was it was it was like tell me more. That was interesting. <laughs> you, know? uh, you never you never know what happens when you put a story out under the wall. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's I could just sit and listen to your stories all day. In fact, I mean, I it's just it's just fascinating to me. Uh, well, Gary, I want to give you. We're almost out of time, but I want to give you plenty of time to talk about this new course that you have, breaking into Hollywood. Could you just sum it up real quick and, and why people may be interested in it? Yeah, I mean, look, you talked, uh, Jeff, earlier about, you know, it sort of applies across the board. I've written it in the vernacular of and targeted specifically the creative, the aspiring creative professional. That's someone who's thinking about it all the way up to someone who's on the, a third of the way up the ladder, but really needs to make measurable progress. They have goals and dreams and they're just frustrated trying to figure out how to progress. Uh, I used to manage writers before I started producing. I've launched a lot of careers. I figured out exactly the things that work and what a lot of stuff that doesn't. So the book is basically the strategies and the tactics that do work if you were to apply anyone, you as a writer, as a whatever you are, cinematographer, if you spent 30 minutes a day, five days a week for one year doing these strategies, or not all of them, just pick the handful that work best for you, but it's all relationship driven. And um, if you do these things, but it, most people are terrified of initiating relationship. So the book is really about how do you do it, a, a new way to think about it and a new way to do it where you're not unequal, you're equal, you're adding value, you are never asking huge favors. I mean, I, I will tell you, I get blind query letters daily from writers saying, and the email basically is, here's the synopsis, may I send you the script, okay? Not a great strategy. If it were a dating site, and I love this analogy, I just come up with this recently. If it were a dating site, it would be like me saying, no profile about me, no statement of what kind of person I'm looking for, and no photo. What's my response rate? Mm. Am I disappointed? Yeah, I'm disappointed. But I know that going in. They don't because it's how everyone's always done it. And I get, pardon my friend, pissed off that that's considered state of the art. It's not, it's defeating and we lose talent and stories and passion and it gets buried and it gets frustrated over years and that upsets me. So the book is really, and the 10 modules. So 
the book got a great response. People read the book and they go, oh my God, I've not heard this information. It's crisp. You've changed my life. I get it. Pause. Now what do I do? And then now what do I do was like a really interesting learning for me because I thought I put my soul into this. But actually they're right. They're right because I don't care how brilliant that information, how clear those strategies are. The human being who's not a trained marketer per se, who loves being a creative, doesn't know how to walk across that bridge and apply it personally because their goals are different than the next person's. So I created this course, 10 modules. They basically sort of parallel the book, but they're deep. Like it's gonna take a week to do an exercise if you're spending 20, 30 minutes a day. It's gonna take you a week. So it's a 10 week course, eight to 10 week course. And it's gonna take you deep into each one of these, but you're gonna apply the strategy, not in a conceptual essay form, but in a very research fill in the blank. Now, by the end of which you have your action map. You have your roadmap of what to do specifically for you to get from A to B in the next six to 12 months. And that's what the course is, breaking into Hollywood, the master course. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to put all the links um, into the the comment section. And Gary, thank you so much for being on the show today. We are out of time, but I wanted to say thank you to Mr. Mike Alton from the Social Media Hat, Stefan Havnanian from Google Plus Pro Tips, and Wade Harmon from WadeHarmon.com. Guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for joining Jeff on his mission to help you be successful in the Pinterest world. Would you like to take part in a live show? Be sure to join Jeff's email community at manlypinteresttips.com. Adding testosterone. One pin at a time.